If you're an Irish fan, keep up through him. Also watch the podcast, which is pretty much daily when they can get it. It usually starts around noon, 1 o'clock. I always get confused, Brian, because we're on Central Time here, and I, I think South Bend on, is on Central Time, which I know it's not. Confuses me every time. Yeah, it used to be Central Time, but it is, it is now Eastern Time. So, yeah, we usually start about 1 o'clock on the Tuesday to Friday, and then uh, we have 2 o'clock shows on Monday and Saturday. And we added a new 6 o'clock show now with a, diff- a new host we hired from a local radio station that does a 6 p.m. show. So we got lots of stuff going on in our podcast channel. And those that start, you know, noon, 1 o'clock, those things go about three hours. Yeah. Well, you know me, Bill. I like to talk. So, and then we do a mailbag at the end, too, because, you know, we really like building the community and getting people to ask questions. And, you know, we talk about what we want to talk about, but we also want to give the people a chance to, you know, for us to be able to address the things that they want to talk about. What's going on with the offensive coordinator search? You know, it's been very interesting. A lot of rumors. All of them have been kind of uh, BS and fake, obviously, at this point in time. You know, you know how Twitter is. But, look, Marcus Freeman right now is looking for a guy that, that is going to come in and, and kind of create some continuity. It's, it's not so much continuity like, hey, we're going to hire from within, but, you know, someone that can kind of come in and, and keep building on what they've already done. You've got to be someone who's balanced. You've got to be someone that can run the football, somebody that – you know, is going to be able to fit the personnel they have. He's been able. He's reached out to a lot of people. They they started kind of vetting candidates. You know, sort of the last few days. And according to the intel I got last night, I I do believe I'm I'm not ready to say who yet, but I'm comfortable saying there was at least one candidate on campus yesterday uh, for an interview, and I expect more to happen over the next couple of days. So it's going to happen pretty quickly. Uh, at least from a standpoint of finding the guy. Now, you know, Notre Dame is Bill. They they don't always, you know, uh, announce things right away because of all the red tape. Thanks, George O'Leary, for that one. But I do expect them to have someone kind of who they're going to have within the next week or so. These are always done in a clandestine way. Sometimes legit items do leak out, but this one's been really quiet, to me at least. Well, I think most. I think part is because people have just been chasing their tails on the wrong people. You know, yeah. there was the Byron Leftwich thing, which was not even remotely accurate. The Brian Johnson thing wasn't remotely accurate. And I think part of it too is is because Notre Dame has kind of went through this process last year with some different coaches, and I think Marcus Freeman's circle of people that is a little smaller maybe than it was with Brian Kelly, which is probably a good thing as far as who actually knows what's going on and. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing, too, is is some of the coaches that he's he's going after aren't necessarily from big-time programs or their potential leaks on both sides. Because, like, with the Sam Hartman thing, for example, you know, I got told that Hartman was going to be the guy, and I was asked to kind of keep it quiet. And I know at least one other person in the earning beat was. So it didn't break from us. It breaked because of people on the Wake Forest side, right? And so, uh, you know, I think some of the coaches he's looking at aren't necessarily from places where there's a, a big, you know, media contingent that is looking this kind of thing up. Uh, but I do expect some stuff to start kind of coming out in the next 24 to 48 hours. And and Hartman's comfortable, right? I mean, they're going to – he'll marry up with a new guy, and that should be a pretty seamless transition, correct or not? Well, correct without having a name, right? Like, yeah. I think there's a thing, Bill, where you can say, hey, look, I'm on board no matter what you do, and then a hire is made, and you're like, hold on a second, right? Like, you know, you – you hire Ken Niamatololo, who's not a candidate, but I'm just making a point. Right. And Sam Hartman may be like, hold on a second. That's not really a fit for what I do. Right. But as of now, he will be. And based on the fact that Notre Dame is looking for someone to kind of continue what they're already doing, pro style, 
making sure that the tight ends are being used effectively, make sure you're able to run the football, throw the ball down the field. Those things are all going to fit what he does. And I, and I wrote an article this morning, a big thing too that I, that I believe Marcus Freeman's looking for from a couple people I've talked to is really an emphasis on finding someone that can develop the quarterback position. As you know, Bill, that's been a big stumbling block for Notre Dame for a while. I think that's an important thing. And, and it's not just Sam Hartman. Keeping him as happy is important. But the other big piece to this is just, just as important as making sure you find someone that C.J. Carr is going to be on board with. Because I think those two kids, to me, along with Kenny Minchie, are the that's kind of the key to the future of quarterback at Notre Dame. You and I have talked about Tyler Buckner. Will he sit through all of this? You know, I don't know Tyler very well, nor his family. Um, everything that I have been told is that he's going to stay on board, but that was with Tommy Reese being here. I think the big unknown is is who do they bring in and what that what's that conversation yeah. going to be like? You know, I think if you're Tyler, you look at it from the standpoint of because of the COVID or because of the injury this year. Excuse me, he's still he, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore next year because he did play as a freshman, played in almost every game as a freshman. So if he sits behind Sam Hartman, he'll still have two years to play. Is he going to be willing to do that? I don't know. He was when Tommy Reese was here. I don't want to say he still is because I don't know. Uh, but I think anytime you get this kind of move and you bring someone new in, it's going to shake those things up. You know, when they sit down with this guy, what are they going to tell Tyler? What are they going to tell Sam? What are they going to tell Kenny Minchu and tell Steve Angeli? I don't know the answer to that. Um, and, and I'm sure there's going to be people calling because Tyler's a very talented player and he showed in the, the Gator Bowl that, you know, when he's on, he, he's a he's a big-time playmaker. And so there's a lot of teams still looking for quarterbacks. So I would imagine that there's going to be some people hoping that he changes his mind after the spring. You have been objectively critical about the defensive front and recruiting. You, you think this freshman group, the class of 23, has potential. Don't know if one of those guys is an immediate impact guy, but, but you like the possibilities there. But you still feel like they're, they're, they're pulling up short in the overall chase at that position. Yeah, I, I mean, look, anytime you lose a guy like Keon Keeley, it's a huge loss. And then, oh, yeah. you know, when, when Al Washington was hired, they were in a great position with Jason Moore from DeMatha, and he, ended up, he ends up going to Ohio State. So, it, look, Bill, the thing is, is, is you and I both know, you can find elite players that are three stars or low four stars or high ceiling guys and those type of things, right? But the reality is, if you have a lot of those low floor, high ceiling guys – the success rate of those guys panning out is much lower. So when your entire class is built of those kind of players, yes, they all individually have very high ceilings. But one of the advantages to the, the more proven – this is what I say about five stars. They're not necessarily going to end up being better players, but I feel like with some of these guys, like a Keon Keeley, with guys like you know the, the Dante Moore, players like that, the, there's, the, the floors are so much higher as well. And there's a level of, well, I feel like I'm at least going to get this from them. And Notre Dame has had some guys come in that, you know, like Jalen Smith and Manti Teo that were five-star linebackers. They panned out great. Well, then there's Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, who was a much lower floor, high-ceiling guy. He also panned out great. But there's been a lot of those guys that were like him that didn't pan out because those high-ceiling, low-floor guys, the, the success rate is going to be lower. And that's all they really landed last year. And so that's kind of my concern is they're very talented players, but the, the odds of all four of those guys going from low floor to, to reaching their high ceilings isn't great, and, and that's the issue. And the defensive line coach didn't even recruit two of those guys. The recruiting coordinator did. And so that's really a lot of where my, my concerns come from. 
The name Justin Scott's coming up a lot, so I'll just throw that one at you, too. What's the latest there with the class of 24 kid out of Chicago? Notre Dame's still in a good, very good place there. You know, he was ready, I believe, and from all of our sources indicate, that he was ready to commit to Notre Dame at the end of January. Decided he wanted to slow things down. He was never – here's the interesting thing. He was never planning on committing on January 31st. He got kind of – you know, motions got the best of him a little bit with some of the things that Notre Dame was pushing, not pushing like him to commit, but just some of these things that they were doing, getting out to see him, the love they were showing him. And so he decided to kind of do it. And then I think he kind of was like, you know, I, I'm speeding it up a little bit too quick. So it's not anything Notre Dame did wrong. I think that they, and matter of fact, the whole thing is something that they did right. But then he realized, hey, I had a plan. I want to get out and see some places. And from what I'm told from my sources in Notre Dame, they completely were on board with that as because of what they went through this past year, where they got a very – Keon Keeley was the first kid to commit to Notre Dame, or second kid to kid, commit to Notre Dame in that class. Uh, and then we saw what happened. Peyton Bowen committed very early to Notre Dame. We saw what happened. So their whole thing is, if you need to take visits and then decide later, do it, because we want to make sure that when you jump on board, you're solidified, you're done, there's no more visits, and you're ready to be a part of what we're doing. Now it's about closing because right now, Bill, everybody knows if you want Justin Scott, that's the school you got to tear down. And that's kind of what they're going through right now. Brian Driscoll, Irish Breakdown. Lots of Bama fans want to hear your thoughts on Tommy Reese and that addition. Well, he's a, he's a, you know, a guy with a lot of potential and tools. You know, Tommy's a very smart offensive coordinator, very smart offensive mind. Uh, you know, this past year, kind of hamstrung your best receiver gets hurt before the season your starting quarterback gets hurt in game two and and there were some really great games and some in, some games where you're kind of scratching your head a little bit and that's kind of been Tommy's MO the last three years is when he's on and he puts together a good game plan and I mean he just they, they didn't throw the ball at all against Clemson and Clemson still couldn't figure out what they were trying to do with the run game with the different motions and using overload formations and then you know using 12 personnel with motions to run duo and all these different things it was really a brilliant game plan without the ability to throw the football not just because of drew pine but it was like 30 40 mile an hour wins that day and then there'll be games like stanford where you're just kind of scratching your head saying you know what is happening right here i think a lot of that comes from the inexperience so you know i I think that hiring time reese to me signifies that 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 nick saban wants to try to get back to a little bit more of what they used to be which is a more balanced offense. If you break down Bama's numbers this year, the overall rushing numbers were good, but they padded those numbers against a lot of inferior opponents. In the bigger games, they didn't always run the ball that effectively. And you're watching Georgia, who's a much more balanced. Georgia is what Bama used to be. Nick Saban went away from that. It's it's you know it's still working. It's still a very good you know it, uh, program. But Georgia's doing what Saban did back in the day, and they're winning back-to-back championships. And I think he understands that, yes, we've got to be pro-style, we've got to throw the ball, we've got to score points, but we have to be able to run the ball. That's what Bama's got to be. And when you watch what Notre Dame's done two of the last three years, they've had a great running game two of the last three years. And I think that, to me, it signifies that he wants to get back to being a little bit more balanced, and I think that's probably a wise thing. Tommy's young. What is Tommy, 30, 31, something like 31, that? 31, yeah. Yeah. Is Obviously, Nick is, is a tough guy to work for, but – Will Tommy be okay there? Tommy can get feisty himself, right? Yeah. I think that's why he would work with, with him. Look, if you go back and watch some of the exchanges that Brian Kelly – remember back in Brian Kelly's early tenure when he was always getting in trouble for just going nuts on the sideline? Well, right. he was primarily the guy that caught most of those 
verbal lashings. It was Tommy Reese who was quarterback. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, right. and what what what, what the re, part of the reason Brian Kelly loved Tommy Reese so much is because Brian Kelly would give it back to him. That's why Brian Kelly liked Tony Pike at Cincinnati because he would go off on him, and you know Tony Pike would kind of give it back to him. And and back then Brian Kelly kind of liked that. You know, he wanted that fiery feisty quarterback to kind of come back at him. So. You know, I think Tommy knows what he's getting. I can say confidently, Tommy knows what he's walking into. And and like you said, he's a pretty feisty guy, too. Uh, I think he thinks it's he can handle it. I mean, no one knows, right, until you're actually in that fire with Nick Saban in the middle of a practice or a game. But it, it's not going to be something that Tommy Reese isn't used to. Brian Kelly was always hard on his assistant coaches and always kind of getting on him. And he got on Tommy a lot more as a quarterback than he did as a coach. So um, I think he knows he's getting into. We'll, we'll see if he can handle it or not, right? But uh, he's not walking in there, um, not not knowing that Nick Saban is hard is a hard guy to coach for. I can assure you of that. Got about a minute. Have you thought about this irony? It came up the other day on the show that at Arizona State you've got Drew Pine and Jaden Rashada competing for a job. Yeah, I mean, Jaden Rashada to me, I'm not sure if he's a guy that's going to be a ready to play right now guy. Super right. talented kid, big arm, big you know, got the NFL size. But he's still pretty raw, you know, so I think, you know, Drew Pine is kind of going to be that placeholder until they feel Jaden Rashad is ready. Will that be this year? I don't know. Uh, but I, I do think financially it's not going to be as good for him, but I do think he's going to a place that's going to be able to better develop him as a quarterback. And I think that's going to be more important long-term financially than getting that immediate boost. I never got the fit at Miami or Florida. So it, it's it's he's had to go through a lot of ups and downs, Bill, but honestly I think in the at the end of the day, Jaden Rashada found a place that, that has a much better chance of developing him as a quarterback and as a young person than the place he was going to. And I think that's that's uh, that's going to ultimately be a good thing for him. Brian, tell everybody how they can get your content. Irish Breakdown. Everything we do on our podcast platform is Irish Breakdown. If you go to the Irish Breakdown YouTube channel, and, of course, irishbreakdown.com is our website. We're trying to make it as easy as possible for you to access our information. You can find us on all those platforms, YouTube, podcast and our website, and all of those will have links to our premium message board where you can get all the intel that we have on the coaching service. All right, 30 seconds. I'm putting you on the spot. This came up about 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. Georgia's 22-team, LSU's 19-team. Who wins? LSU's 19-team. I mean, did you watch what Ohio State did to Georgia in yeah. the semifinal? That's what we were – yeah. That's on steroids in Correct. the 2019 LSU team. LSU team's got more of what Ohio State has. Right. Correct. Georgia's past secondary is not great. Even if you break down the championship game, there was a lot of guys open in that game that Max Dugan just missed. Joe Burrow doesn't miss them. No. <laughs> Neither did those first-round wide receivers either. So. Right, exactly. And Brian, thanks, man. Running back. Yep, good, good talk to you, bud. Thanks for having me on. All right.